Hey everybody, this is B on Dot Paul Podcast. Stuff about stuff. So today we're going to talk about the atomic bomb uh, that led to nuclear energy and um, all of that. So the atomic bomb was conceived in the early 20th century. Uh, theoretical foundations of nuclear fission, the process that powers atomic bombs, uh, were established uh, by physicists uh, Albert Einstein and Enrico Fermi, Fermi in 1930s. In the 30s, however, it wasn't until the 40s during World War II that a significant effort were made to develop a practical atomic bomb or bombs. Uh, the Manhattan Project. I think everybody probably tuning in probably knows the name, the Manhattan Project. as a top-secret research program, and it was initiated by the United States uh, in 1939 to develop an atomic weapon. Um, the project brought together a team of scientists, including Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer to design and build the atomic bomb. The first successful test of the bomb was codenamed Trinity, and that took place on July 16, 1945, in the desert near Alamogordo, New Mexico. atomic bomb was, was dropped on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, August 6th and 9th, 1945, uh, respectively. These bombings mark the first and so far the only use of nuclear weapons in warfare. Um, so, you know, if you know the story, seen the documentaries, maybe you've seen a couple movies about um, the Manhattan Project or maybe read a book about it. Um, you know, they built a city out in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing there. Uh, they wanted, you know, secrecy like... A lot of military types won't when they're doing something that basically is no one's business. And you don't want the Nazis or the Japanese finding out about it because at the time, Germany and the Empire of Japan were definitely our enemies and actually the enemies of humanity. Um, and uh, there were other facilities in the United States, uh, one in Chicago, um, you know, uh, one in Georgia, I believe, and then the uh, the uh, labs out uh, in Mexico. Um, so let's get into who Albert Einstein was. You probably know the name. Uh, I think that his hair is more famous to most people, <laughs> and uh, he has some rocking hair. So you know. 1879 to 1959, he lived, uh, he was a renowned physicist, widely regarded as one of the greatest scientific minds in history. Uh, he was born in uh, the kingdom of Württemberg uh, in Ulm, I think that's how you pronounce that, in Germany, the German Empire, which is now Germany. Uh, Einstein made you know, numerous significant contributions to the field of theoretical physics, uh, particularly in the area of relativity and uh, 
quantum mechanics. Um, these things are so far over most people's heads, mine included. Um, you know, you got to buy, you know, a dummy's guide to, you know, particle acceleration and quantum mechanics and relativity. And even that will be a little bit for most people. Um, some of his most famous work is theory of relativity in 19, you know, Oh five, you know, he published a special theory of relativity, which uh, introduced the now famous equation of E equals MC square, demonstrating the equivalence of energy E and mass M. This theory revolutionized our understanding of space, time, and the relationship between matter and energy. Later in 1950, 1915, uh, you know, a mere 10 years later, he formulated general theory of relativity which provided understanding of gravity as, as the curvature of space-time due to mass and energy. You know, Einstein was, again, so far above all of us and so far removed from the regular, <laughs> regular things in life. Um, <clears throat> anyway... Um, I, I don't know. I just get overwhelmed thinking about his genius in his brain and what he was thinking about and how he thought about things. I've seen interviews with him and, um, I've read, uh, documentaries, uh, papers where he would explain something that would start out, you know, probably the first paragraph of the first sentences he would speak and then it just off into the deep end. Uh, he literally was a genius. Um, and then, you know, uh, his work uh, contributed to the development of quantum mechanics, a branch of physics that deals with the behavior of matter and energy on the atomic and subatomic scale. <laughs> That's hardcore, bro. Um, um, his insights and research on the uh, photoelectric effect for which he received a Nobel Prize uh, in, in, in physics in 1921 helped establish the foundation of quantum theory. The foundation of quantum theory. He wasn't just adding to it. He's like, wrote the book on it. Aside from his scientific uh, achievements, Einstein, uh, you know, was an advocate of peace, civil rights, education. Uh, he became an iconic figure known for his humanitarian views and philosophical uh, reflections. You know, after he fleed the uh, the Germans, uh, the Nazis in Germany, because he was a Jew. Excuse me, pardon me. Einstein settled in the United States. Thank God, where he held academic positions at various universities, including the Institute of Advanced Studies in Princeton, New Jersey. Um, yeah, I think they made that for Einstein. I, I don't think it was there before Einstein. Um, his contributions to science as an influence and in understanding the universe have left an, an mountain of of work and a mark on the world 
of physics and continue to inspire scientific inquiry to this day. Um, you know, uh, I'll stop gush- gushing over Einstein about three seconds. I'll just say it again. He was the genius, not a genius, the genius. Um, I'm glad he made it to America and, uh, he was safe here with us. So Enrique Fermi, um, 1901 to 1954, he was an Italian American physicist known for his significant con- contributions to nuclear physics and quantum theory. He was born in Rome, Italy, and demonstrated exceptional talent in mathematics and physics from an early age. Uh, I tried to find what that early age was because I'd like to know, you know, was he writing this stuff when he was nine or he was 15, but doesn't matter. Um, you know, I've lived X amount of years and I'll never, ever write any of those equations or even understand them. His research uh, uh, covered a wide range of topics, but he is most renowned for his work on nuclear reactions there it is, and the development of the first nuclear reactor. And I think that was in Chicago, at the University of Chicago, if I'm remembering correctly, where they used to tickle the tail of the dragon, I think what they used to call it. In the 1930s, he conducted experiments uh, on the bombardment of various elements with neutrons, which led to the discovery of new radioactive isotopes and laid the groundwork for the field of nuclear physics. That was the tickling of the dragon's tail, I believe. Um, in 1934, Fermi conducted an experiment uh, which he bombarded uranium with neutrons, which resulted in the creation of new radioactive I- isotopes. This process, later named nuclear fission, proved to be the nucleus of an atom... Uh, proved to be the nucleus that an atom could be split into smaller fragments. And here it is, releasing a tremendous amount of energy. Um, pardon me, my ear was itching. Uh, Fermi's groundbreaking work on nuclear fission paved the way for the development of nuclear power and the atomic bombs. 1942, during World War II, Fermi uh, played a critical role in the Manhattan Project. U.S. research program aimed to develop nuclear weapons, uh, atomic weapons, like we were just talking about. He led the team uh, that achieved the first controlled, self-sustaining nuclear chain reaction in a controlled environment. Yes, uh, in the Chicago pile, number one, CP1, or the first nuclear reactor. Um, I've seen that depicted in stories and uh, movies that was under the, the seats of the stadium, uh, football stadium. Um, wow. What the hell? This achieve, achievement demonstrated that feasibility of harnessing nuclear en- energy and marked a significant mi- milestone in the development of, of atomic energy. After the war, Fermi continued um, his research and made important contributions to the field of, you know, particle physics and was awarded the Nobel Prize in 1938 for his discovery of new radioactive elements um, and his work on induced radioactivity. Uh, 
you know, Fermi's uh, scientific uh, achievements and his pivotal role to develop in the development of nuclear physics and atomic energy solidified his reputation as one of the greatest physicists of the 20th century. And we had him in the United States. Thank you, God, again, because... Dude, let that sink in, because Italy at that time was a fascist state. If Mussolini would have had this dude, we would have been totally hosed. Um, uh, sorry, uh, let me drink some water. That uh, that uh, that kind of got to me. Sorry about that, everybody. Oh, that's good water. Um, the Manhattan Project. We'll go back to the Manhattan Project. Um, the project that created the first atomic bombs. Um, it's a top secret research program uh, undertaken during World War II. And the one aim that it had was to develop atomic weapons that could be used. Specifically, the atom bomb. It was named after the Manhattan engineer, uh, District of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which have oversight of the project. It started in 1939, uh, following concerns that Nazi Germany might be developing atomic weapons, what the Nazis called heavy water. Um, they were getting there, but they had taken a, a, a different approach. But if they would have probably had, they say, five to seven more years, yeah, you know what was coming. Um, and because Hitler was insane, uh, and the people who followed him were even crazier to, to follow someone like that. United States recognized the potential military significance, atomic energy, committed substantial resources, and enlisted the help of leading scientists and engineers from various fields. So, under the leadership of General Leslie Groves, um, and uh, scientific direction from physicists such as Robert Oppenheimer, the Manhattan Project brought together thousands of scientists, engineers, support personnel uh, across several research sites. The main uh, facility was in Los Alamos uh, Laboratory in New Mexico and uh, Hanford, yeah, that's right, I forgot about Hanford site in Washington State and Oak Ridge, that's a said earlier, uh, Georgia, it was Tennessee, Oak Ridge in Tennessee. Um, the project in, encompassed several, several key aspects. First, significant efforts were made to enrich uranium, the process involving the separation of uranium-235, the isotope necessary to sustain nuclear chain reaction. You know, and this was achieved through... Um, gaseous diffusion, electromagnetic separation, and later the development of the atomic bomb. Um, secondly, the project focused on the production of plutonium-239 through the iteration of uranium-238 in nuclear reactors. Plutonium-239 could be used as a fissionable material in an atomic bomb. Finally, the project involved the design and construction of the actual bomb itself. Two different designs were pursued, uranium-based Little Boy and plutonium-based Fat Man. 
uh, were built, uh, developed and built. The Manhattan Project operated under extreme secrecy with only a select few of individuals having full knowledge of its objectives and progress. Uh, the secrecy that was maintained to prevent uh, enemy uh, intelligence from discovering the project and to ensue the atomic bombs developed, but um, it just want they the United States wanted it to be a surprise uh, that we had done this. Um, and uh, to coin a phrase, loose lips sink ships. Um, the culmination of the Manhattan Project came in July. Came on July sixteenth, nineteen forty-five, with the successful test of the atomic bomb in the New Mexico desert, codenamed Trinity. And then after that, Hiroshima and Nagasaki were targeted. Um, after the first one was dropped. Um, we told the emperor, asked the emperor, when you actually told him, you need to surrender unconditionally, and he would not. So then Nagasaki was destroyed, effectively ending World War II. Um, one note that I do know about this um, is there were more people killed by... Um, Carpet bombing and by a fire bombing uh, in Germany, um, and then later in Japan, then by the atomic bombs. So um, even before then, the Japanese would not give up, and also the Japanese were shown they weren't invited to the test, the Trinity test site, but they were shown the test and they refused to surrender. Manhattan Project was a monumental scientific engineering endeavor um, that revolutionized warfare and the course of history. It marked the first use of nuclear weapons and propelled the world into the nuclear age with far-reaching implications for science, technology, um, politics, and international relations. Um, it saved millions of American lives, though. I um, think that's what a lot of people um, forget or to take into account. Um, read the accounts of Guadalcanal and um, <laughs> the last uh, embedded Japanese uh, fighters uh, on the main island. Uh, they were not going to give up easy, and they were going to sacrifice their children and if D-Day was big, uh, D-Day Japan was going to be 10 times as big. Um, so we briefly talked about uh, General Leslie Gro Groves, uh, 19, uh, 1896 to 1970. He was the United States Army Corps of Engineers officer, and he played a critical role in the Manhattan Project. Uh, born in Albany, New York, and graduated from United States Military Academy, West Point, 1918. September 1942, Gross was appointed the military director of the Manhattan Project. Pardon me. The rank of Brigadier General, he was responsible for overseeing and coordinating all aspects of the project. Site selection, construction, research, production, and security. Under Groves, leadership 
uh, under Groves, Groves' leadership, the Manhattan Project was transformed from a small-scale scientific effort into a massive industrial undertaking involving teams of thousands of people. Excuse me. He faced numerous challenges, such as managing the project's immense complexity, ensuring the availability of necessary resources, and maintaining strict secrecy. I bet. Um, Groves played a key role in selecting the research sites and overseeing their development. Um, he selected Los Alamos, New Mexico, that we talked about earlier, as the location for the main research um, laboratory led by Oppenheimer. He also oversaw the construction of the facilities at Hanford in Washington State and plutonium uh, production at Oak Ridge in uh, Tennessee for uranium enrichment. Beyond his organizational and logistic responsibility, Gross was instrumental in coordinating international collaboration in securing the national the national the necessary materials for the project including uranium and then we talked about and heavy water um beyond this uh organizational and logistical responsibilities gross was instrumental in coordinating um anything else at the manhattan project um it achieved its ultimate goal of developing the first atomic weapons, first the test, and then the dropping of the bomb, uh, you know, under Groves' supervision. After World War II, Groves continued his military career and served in various high-ranking positions. He retired from the Army in 1948. Uh, Leslie Groves is widely recognized for his pivotal role in managing the Manhattan Project, of course, and ensuring its success, which ultimately led to the creation of atomic bombs uh, used on um, Japan and changing the course of world history. Uh, water break for me. Okay. Oppenheimer, Robert Oppenheimer. 1904 to 1967, American theoretical physicist and one of the key figures in the development of the atomic bomb during World War II. He's often referred to as the father of the atomic bomb. That's, that's a heavy moniker there. Um, Oppenheimer was born in New York City and... Uh, Again, another person that demonstrated exceptional intellectual abilities from an early age. Um, Oppenheimer made significant contributions to theor uh, theoretical physics, particularly in quantum mechanics and the study of subatomic particles. His work focused on understanding the behavior of matter and energy at the atomic and subatomic level. More genius more genius <laughs> work here. During World War II, Oppenheimer was uh, Oppenheimer was appointed the director of Los Alamos Laboratory in New Mexico, which was a primary research facility for the Manhattan Project. Under his leadership, team of scientists worked on designing and building the atomic bomb. 
Of course, he played a critical role uh, in the technical aspects of the project, um, selecting the bomb's design, overseeing its development, um, his expertise in theoretical physics was int- instrumental in solving numerous scientific challenges encountered during the project. Um, there are many accounts of them failing, many times failing. Um, and uh, this wasn't, you know, just lighting off a firecracker. Um, this was hardcore. Um July 16, 1945, Oppenheimer successfully tested the first atomic bomb at the Trinity test site. Um, And it was a milestone for the Manhattan Project, of course, because it worked, because the feasibility of the atomic bomb was, you know, it was proven. After the war, Oppenheimer became an advocate for international control of nuclear weapons and a prominent voice against the development of the hydrogen bomb. He played a key role in advising the U.S. government on nuclear policy and served as chairman of the General Advisory Committee of the Atomic Energy Commission. However, during the early years of the Cold War, uh, Oppenheimer's security clearance was revoked amid allegations of his communist sympathies and involvement in left-wing political activities. He's probably a liberal, and he was probably not cool with the bomb after he did it. Controversy led to a highly publicized uh, hearing known as the Oppenheimer hearings in 1954. Uh, those are online, and um, you can listen to them, and... Um, you can draw your own conclusion about the man there. Despite the controversies surrounding him, Oppenheimer's contributions to development of the atomic bomb, his significant scientific achievements in theoretical physics remain highly regarded. He made significant contributions to the advancement and understanding of fundamental forces and particles that govern the universe. So, all these guys I've been talking about, all these scientists, you can't forget they created a bomb. They did it for their country. They were asked to do it. They didn't have to do it. They could have said no, and someone else probably would have done it. May have taken longer. May have taken less time. Who knows? Um, but all these geniuses should not you should not think of them only for that one thing just like with anybody you know um a great golfer you know makes a hole in one but last night you know uh he cooked a great steak and it was delicious anyway um so what happened after the bombs were dropped just how did the world change um i am a baby boomer um I came around um, 40, uh, about 12, 13 years after World War II ended. But as a boy, I do remember duck and cover and the ridiculous um, duck and cover routines that we would do. We would jump out of our desk and get under our desk 
those all-in-one desks. You've probably seen kids do that and ridiculous newsreels. Um, I never lived in fear. Um, my parents never put fear into me. My father never talked about the war. He was a B-29 engineer and pilot, and uh, he did bomb the Japanese. And uh, he never talked about, you know, um, the um, the nuclear bomb or anything. Um, you know, he was on Guam, and he was on Tinian Island. The only thing he told me about Tinian, Tinian Island where the Enola Gay took off from, uh, that was a B-29 staging island in the Pacific, uh, where the rats were as big as big as house cats. <laughs> That's the only thing he ever told me. And um, after a number of years, I stopped asking because it became, com- in, to me, the old man just wanted to forget everything that happened. And I don't blame him. Who would want to talk about that or live through that again? Um, so anyway, how did the world change um, after the bombs were dropped? You know, well, of course, it was the end of World War II. Um, you know, Japan surrendered, um, leading to the end of World War II in the Pacific. Uh, bombings, you know, dramatically accelerated the conclusion of the war. You know, saving countless lives that might have been lost in a prolonged conflict. Um, nuclear arms race started. Um, the use of the bombs marked the beginning of the nuclear arms at arms age and uh, triggered a global arms race. The United States initially held a monopoly on nuclear weapons, but Soviet Union, because, you know, there are some smart Soviet scientists uh, soon developed its own atomic bomb in 1949. And then the arms race began between the two superpowers, United States and Soviet Union. Not Russia, but the Soviet Union. A lot of people don't remember the Soviet Union, but it was a lot more than Russia. And that dominated much of the Cold War period with the development of more powerful and destructive weapons, including the hydrogen bombs. Um, and then Cold War and geopolitical tensions, the atomic bombs intensified. Existing tensions between the United States and Soviet Union le- leading to the Cold War. You know, mutual assured, assured destruction, MAD, was a thing. Because it didn't matter who fired first, we would see them and we would fire. Pardon me. They would see us and and they would fire. And then that's that. Um, both areas, the continental United States, uh, the Soviet Union would be uh, glass. It would be a sea of glass. Um, and probably if nuclear winter came, which a lot of people thought it would, which probably the rest of the planet would have had a problem surviving, uh, except the cockroaches and Twinkies. So, you know, we got that going for us. Um, so, you know, uh, the mad doctrine uh, characterized this era. Most superpowers possessing a new, enough nuclear weapons to devastate each other. The world became divided into two opposing blocks, Western Block led by the United States and Eastern Bloc led by the Soviet Union. 
Then the nuclear non-proliferation efforts, the destructive power of atomic bombs spurred international efforts to control and limit the spread of nuclear weapons. 1968, the Treaty uh, on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, they called it the uh, NPT, was signed, aiming to prevent the spread of nuclear weapons while promoting disarmament and peaceful use of nuclear energy. The NPT established a framework for arms control and has been ratified uh, by the majority of nations in the world. Excuse me, water time. Um, Humanitarian concerns and pacification. Devastating effects of atomic bombs raise global awareness about the humanitarian consequences of nuclear weapons. Bombings generated debates about the ethical implications of using such powerful weapons and sparked uh, movements advocating for disarmament, peace, and nuclear non-proliferation. Way back in another time in my life, I was a young man, had long hair and into rock and roll, I spent some time on the West Coast. Um, I remember having a T-shirt, and it said on it, um, Californians for the for nuclear safeguards. And that group was, um, yes, it was a leftist group, but they wanted nuclear power, but they wanted it to be built with nuclear safeguards. And then there was a wing of it that just wanted all nuclear weapons destroyed, buried in the ground, destroyed, and flowers planted over them. And, you know, when the cat's out of the bag and the cows left the barn, that's not going to happen. And then advances in nuclear energy. Um, Atomic bombs demonstrate the immense energy could be released in nuclear reactions, leading to advancements in the peaceful use of nuclear energy for electricity generation. Nuclear power plants were developed, providing significant source of energy in various countries. However, concerns about nuclear safety, waste management, and the potential nuclear proliferation remained important considerations. Um, I have to say something about this because we built, and we still operate a couple of those here in the United States. Uh, there was a left-wing movie uh, called The China Syndrome that scared everybody. Uh, uh, right, it came out right after, um, uh, what happened in Three Mile Island. And there's been movies about it and all of that. But, you know, not one person, <laughs> not one person was contaminated Three Mile Island all these years later. It just sits there and it's encased in its concrete tomb, what it was designed to do. Now, Chernobyl, what happened in, um, Ukraine, um, that was not a well-designed facility, and it wasn't well-maintained because that's the Soviet bloc, and um, you can draw your own conclusions from that statement. Um, but it blew the top off of that sucker, and there was contamination, and people did die, a lot of people. Uh, and Chernobyl itself, the city and the area around that, it will be radioactive for the next 10,000 years or something. And so 
that area of the earth is just gone. Um, we made a huge mistake by not staying with nuclear power. This is my personal belief, um, especially with all this electric this and electric that. We wouldn't have to worry about the grid. Um, uh, there's only so much power on the grid. Look around your house and industry and what you see every day and what you deal with every day, 24-7, 365, and then you're going to plug an electric car into that. Yeah, but I'm not buying gas and fossil fuel. Okay, I get that. You're just moving one debt to another debt, this pile to this pile. You may get more miles per your charge, but you're putting a strain on the grid. It's been estimated the grid cannot, there are, I forget how many millions of gas-powered cars, if all of a sudden they were all replaced by electric cars and everybody was charging, we would have to, like your water, you know, you water your yards, you know, here in Texas, uh, it gets really hot and dry, and uh, so I can only water two days. So Wednesdays and Sundays are my days to run the sprinklers to water the yard. Uh, everybody, because uh, I have an odd number house. I have an odd number house. Even numbers are two other days. Um, you would be doing that in your cars. It's just not feasible. But if we had nuclear power, pumping out unlimited, literally unlimited electricity, right? We're good to go. So that's where we screwed up. And uh, we screwed up over, it's been over 40 years now. Um, So we have 40 years to make up. Um, I, I don't think it will happen. Um, because of the nature of the uh, metals that have to be used to make lithium batteries. Lithium and cobalt are not everywhere. It's in very, very poor abundance here in the United States. China has a lot of it, though. And some of the poorer countries where people mine it by hand and get very, very ill and die, but do it because they have no choice. Um, so that's kind of my take on electric, um, and yeah, solar panels and wind power are not going to do it. Um, those are not going to charge our grid. Um, yeah, clarity over agreement, everybody must be clear on our stance on things and why, Do some research. Look into it. Uh, So just what is atomic energy? You know, it's also known as nuclear energy. Energy released from the nucleus of an atom. You know, harnesses uh, through the process called nuclear reactions, specifically fission uh, and fusion. Fission involves splitting the nucleus of an atom, usually heavy metals such as uranium or plutonium, and two or more small nuclei, resulting in tremendous amounts of energy um, in the process. This energy is primarily in the form of heat. Uh, that's why you'll see nuclear power, right? Those are cooling towers, and the rods are in water. 
um, and uh, which can be used to generate steam, drive turbines, and then produce electricity in power plants. I failed to re talk about nuclear waste, and yes, there is nuclear waste, and not rods do have to be replaced, they have to be pulled out, and they do have to be buried in the ground for almost forever. Um, a lot of people have talked about shooting them into the into the into space. It's a really bad idea. How many times have you seen a rocket blow up? <laughs> so no, we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> because you'd have to encase the rods in concrete, and you know, even you know, even the SpaceX heavy heavy wouldn't be able to lift that. Ten heavies wouldn't be able to lift it. It's ridiculous. So you bury these things where no one lives and where countries say, hey, we have some desert and the nomads are cool with it. And you pay them off, not pay them off. You pay them, um, you pay the country. And this is what we do, just like our other waste. There are mounds and mounds and mounds and mounds and mounds of putrid smelling waste all over the world. And there are some tire fires that have been burning for 30 or 40 years that will never go out because they're tires and they're rubber and they will not extinguish. And there are a million tires and they're underground. Um, so anyway, yes, I just wanted to say there is waste and we know that and that is a reality and it can be managed and it has been managed because there's nuclear waste and there's nuclear waste every year because we still have some react reactors running in this country. Uh, and in Europe they did, but they turned all theirs off for some weird reason. Uh, they're going to regret that, uh, especially the wintertime. It's not a good idea. Uh, so back to nuclear fusion uh, involves combining the nuclei of lighter elements such as hydrogen, uh, durinium and tritinium to form heavier nucleus. This process also releases a significant amount of energy. Fusion is a process that powers the sun. Yeah, that sun and other stars. So, but so far, scientists have not been able to achieve a controlled, sustained fusion reaction on Earth or for any practical uh, energy production. Yeah, let's try not to have the sun in in on the on the planet. Atomic energy uh, has some distinct advantages, including high energy density, low greenhouse gas emissions um, in the case of nuclear fission, and potential for nearly limitless supply of fuel. However, it does come with concerns that we talked about: nuclear waste disposal potential accidents and risk of nuclear proliferation. The use of atomic energy is a subject of ongoing debate to the benefits and the drawbacks. So clarity over agreement, um, that is still going on. So, you know, the uh, high energy density, we love that. Low greenhouse, we love that. Um you know, the waste, yes, we've proven that we can take care of the waste. Now, do we want to? Potential accidents, that was proven at 
Three Mile Island. Um, again, no one died of radiation. And people still live next to that. Families never moved away. They, they're still there. Now, nuclear proliferation, because of nuclear energy, um, I don't understand that, but I guess there are people in boardrooms talking about that. Um, so, you know, um, I, I think we can do it. We just have to have the willpower to do it. And if you want all these electric cars to be charged while everything else Big screen TV is running. Going to have to get on board. So, what kind of safeguards are do we have? You know, there's um, the International Atomic Energy, the IAEA agency, uh, has come up with a few, and this is part of the United Nations. Um, so, the CSA Comprehensive Safeguards Agreement is a treaty. F- for non-proliferation of nuclear weapons. Non-nuclear weapon states are required to uh, conclude a CSC with the IAEA. <laughs> uh, the CSA grants and the IAEA, the authority to verify nuclear materials declared by the state, are used for peaceful purposes and not direct, derived for nuclear weapons. So... You may remember the Stuxnet virus where Mossad went after Iran and Iraq and other people because they said, oh, we just want clean energy. But, you know, those nuclear piles that they had there were for one reason only, and that was to destroy Israel. They have stated that, and that's what they were doing. So let the inspections begin. Uh, additional protocols, uh, APs, the APs is voluntary agreement, voluntary agreement that provides the IAEA with expanded access and information, enabling it to enhance the effectiveness of safeguards. All of this is great, but you have to trust the person on the other side of the table. And I'll just tell you, there are untrustworthy countries in the world. There are regimes that want nothing more than genocide. They want domination. That's all they want. And there are good regimes that maybe have factions there. So we have to be careful with these things. When we sign these treaties, make sure these people we're talking to are on the up and up. Nuclear material accountability. So you tracking of the inventory, movement, storage. Uh, uranium, plutonium. Of course, again, you have to trust the people on the other side of the table. Non-proliferation, the, that treaty, again, you have to trust. Um, export controls. Um, you know, you have to make sure that someone doesn't put this into a suitcase and bring it over to the United States. The movie, the the sum of all fears, kind of um, kind of explained what that would look like. Um, all these safeguards, uh, information sharing, transparency, uh, is a vital role. Uh, but we have to stay on top of it, and uh, for our country, and also for the world. Um, so I did a little 
weird thing today. So like, um, um, you know, there's a new movie coming out called Oppenheimer, uh, 2023. I think it's coming out, um, July, I think July 21st, 2023. Uh, it's a Christopher Nolan movie. So it should be pretty good. Um, and it's about the Manhattan project. Now there are many, uh, movies about the Manhattan project, uh, the fat man and little boy. Um, obviously it's about the, the building of the bombs, you know, and, uh, Paul Newman, great actor, uh, is general Groves, uh, who oversees the project. Um, that's a great movie. Uh, Trinity and beyond atomic bomb movie. Um, basically about the Manhattan project. It's a documentary and, um, it's a little dry, but it's a documentary. Um, the beginning of the end, um, in 1947, um, that's a little dated. Um, but you know, it's, uh, I, I can't remember. Is that black and white or not? Or kind of one of those colorized movies, uh, the Manhattan project, um, Fictional is fictionalized. Uh, it's a thriller film, they say, um, of a high school student who builds a small atomic bomb for a science fair project. Um, and um, it's set against the backdrop of the actual Manhattan Project. Um, and uh, I remember that movie. Uh, it's a very entertaining. Um, let's see. Another one was Day One. Pretty good. All these films are all about the Manhattan Project. Um, you know, um, I find it fascinating to, to look at history, and uh, I try not to put my 21st century, you know, judgments on what people did regarding this topic or any topic. Um, I may have made the same decisions or felt the same way. Um so, and then, of course, I have to mention this, my favorite band, and I think the band um, that ro- rules the known galaxy is Rush, and they have a song called Manhattan Project, <laughs> um, and it was on their Power Windows album, uh, 1985, uh, great, great song, um, and listen to that, and uh, maybe read the words, and it will give you a synopsis of what happened and um, how everybody felt about it um, on both sides. So that was my take on um, the atomic bomb and the people involved. It's I, I could talk for probably another hour, but you know I try to keep these things down down to an hour, um, forty five minutes to an hour. Uh, so this has been B on Dot Paul Podcast. Stuff about stuff. And remember, accelerate with confidence. <laughs> <laughs>